ourselves to others, if we're better than others, then it tempts us to our arrogance. And if we're worse than others, then we're tempted to our hopelessness and sort of motivation to give up. Uh, and we can fall into this sort of comparison trap, I think, in almost any area of life. So any standard that we have can create comparisons. So the question I want to ask is, like, does that mean standards are bad? Are ideals bad? Are goals bad? That's the question that we're going to look at that, that today's passage answers. Okay, we're going to look at a section of the Bible, and this is the question. That if standards create measurements, and measurements create comparisons, and comparisons lead us down at least two different roads that are not helpful, then our standards are bad. Because in the first century, when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, the Jewish people of Paul's day, and he was one of them, um, they had a problem. They based their whole identity on comparisons. They thought they were better than all the other nations on the earth. And the reason they thought this was because they had a covenant with God that no one else had. And so the covenant was documented in what they called the law. And so God gave Israel this law to help people to know how to live in relationship with him. So before we read the passage today, I just want to remind you uh, of the definition of one term. That the law, uh, God's, the law is God's covenant with Israel through Moses. So when you see the phrase the law in the book of Romans, this is what it refers to. It's not just the Ten Commandments. Okay, it's not just the commandments, but it's the whole covenant that God made with Israel through Moses. And the problem was that Israel took this law, they took God's covenant with them, and they became self-righteous and arrogant in comparing themselves to others. And last week, Paul wrote in a very, very poignant way. Uh, if you remember this week, Romans 7, verse 5. This isn't in your bullets, but he said this. Our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So he's saying God's covenant with us aroused our sinful passions. And so the, verse, the first verse we're going to look at today asks the inevitable question. In Romans 7, verse 7, what then shall we say is the law of sin? If our sinful passions were aroused by the law, then is the law of sin? And for us today, thinking about this in the, in the area of comparisons, if, see, if comparisons are bad and Ideals and standards create those comparisons. If our standards today, if our ideals uh, arouse the sins of comparison, then are those standards bad? So that's what we're going to ask and answer today from this passage. Let's read the rest of the passage and see what God has to say. Romans 7, verses 7 through 12. This is in your bulletin. It's also on the screen. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. 
this passage both in its first century context and then talk about how it can apply to us today and set us free from comparison. First, we need to talk about sin. Yeah, we talk about sin because the passage talks about sin. And here's something that may be new to most of you. In the book of Romans, sin isn't just something you do. Sin is also a person you obey. Sin is described. It's not just something that you do. Sin is also a person you obey. Sin is personified in this letter. In our passage, we see that sin is personified. It's described as a person. And so it's not just here, but the whole letter does this. Let me just give you a few examples of where sin is presented to us as a person, and as a person to be obeyed. In Romans 5.12, it says that sin entered the world. It also says in that verse that sin brought death. And so you have this image of the world, and then sin enters in. Sin is like an enter or an actor on the stage. Like sin enters in at a point, and when sin comes in, it doesn't come alone, but sin brings his body death. And so sin and death enter in. In Romans 5.21, it says that sin reigned in death. So there's a point in time when sin entered into the world, and then sin wasn't just a person. It wasn't just a character to play, but sin is a ruler. Sin is a king over a kingdom. So Romans 5, 21 says, so then Romans 6, 7 says, the very next chapter, it says, we died to sin and are set free from it. Okay, and so Romans says that at one point we were under the dominion and the rulership of sin. Sin was our king. We have died to it. We've sort of died that, that we don't serve that king anymore. We've been set free from it. And so, for people that believe in Jesus, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Romans 6 verse 14 says that sin won't reign over us anymore. So again, this is part of that freedom. So now sin doesn't reign anymore. It's like a dethroned king. Like, like, yeah, someone whose reign is over. And then in our passage, it, it's, it does this a few times in the passage we're looking at today, but just in verse 11, it says that sin seized an opportunity. See that in verse 11? And then sin deceived me and killed me. And so in all these ways, sin is personified. It's treated like a person. It's treated like, um, well, sin is actually the powerful ruler over all that is broken in our world. Okay, that's what sin is. So, sin is the voice that deceives us and tempts us to follow it. And when we understand that that's what is being described as far as sin is in this letter, we see that this ruler has another name in the Bible. There's another person in the Bible that deceives us. It is a voice that's coming from outside of us. Yeah, Satan or the devil. And so in Romans, sin is personified as the devil. This is important. It's important because when you read the, I mean, this section, especially Romans 5 through 8, in this section of, of the letter, sin is not just stuff that you do, but it's someone that you obey. 
comes across kind of killjoyish. It comes across kind of like you're just nitpicking at everything and you're never satisfied. And it just seems like all you're ever trying to do is figure out what I'm doing wrong so that you can make feel guilty for it. If you've ever felt that way as a Christian, or if those of you here aren't Christians, like if this is how you felt, that's not why the Bible talks about sin. The Bible doesn't talk about sin for that reason. Um, instead, about sin because to sin is to serve the devil. Sin isn't just a thing that we do, but it's a person that we serve. And so when we're deceived by sin and we follow it, we give the devil an opportunity to control us. And if the idea of the devil is a little bit too like, metaphysically parabolic for you, then there are, the Bible also says that there are really just two parts of us, which are the old self and the new self. And when we follow sin or receive by sin, what happens is we let the worst parts of who we are dominate us. We allow the parts of us that don't produce love or joy or peace be in control of us. So there is a kingdom that is built by sin on the earth. You know this kingdom. Live in this kingdom. Sometimes you fight against this kingdom. Sometimes you fight for this kingdom. And so, if the law produced sinful desires, the question in verse 7 is asking when it says, Is the law sin? It's asking, Is the law this evil ruler? There's an evil ruler. That is building this kingdom of evil and darkness in the world is the law that evil ruler? That's the question that's being asked in verse 7. And the answer that verse 7 gives is no. No. It says by no means. And so in the realm of comparison, when we think about this, so we could ask the same question. So for us today, our standards sin? Our ideals and goals bad? Same answer. Answer's no. No, not that. Um, if comparison is a trap that drives us to arrogance or hopelessness and should we get rid of all measures of success, this passage says no. And we're going to see why this passage says no. This passage is going to teach us that the fault lies not with the law or with standards, but the fault lies somewhere else. And so let's look at verses 7. Uh, eight, uh, seven and eight first, but we'll be able to walk through this. So, Paul says, first in verse seven, he says, Is the law sin by no means? And then he goes on, he says, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And so, what he's saying here is, he says, Look, the law isn't the problem. Actually, the law shows us who sin is. Okay, you might have heard that the law shows us what sin is. That's true. But actually, I think what Paul is saying in verse 7 is he's saying that the law shows us who sin is. And remember, the law is the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses. And so being in covenant with God, having a relationship with God, that's what shows us the behaviors, the words, and the ideas that follow after sin. 
gives this example, again, in verse 7. For why I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So give this as one example. Sometimes we don't know if something is wrong until God tells us. There are things that we grow up with, and the Bible actually says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That we are born with sin. We are born into sin. We are born as sinful people. And so some of the things that we naturally, normally grow up thinking and feeling are right. They're expressions of the image of God. We're all made in God's image. But some of the things that we grow up thinking and feeling are wrong. And they come from sin. And so with the things that are natural to us, we need a relationship with God. We need to have God speak to us. We need His law to teach us that some of the things that we don't know are wrong are wrong. And so, the law isn't the problem. Actually, the law shows us who sin is and where sin operates. Um, and so, to say the law's not bad, the law shows us where sin operates, but verse 8 says, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. We say the law is good because it shows us who sin is, but sin jumped at the chance to respond. So it's almost like the law comes and begins to show us who sin is and what sin is like. And then sin says, wait, hold on a second. Wait, I got something to say here. And so what Paul is saying in these verses is saying, as I learned about coming, sin tempted me to come. Sin jumped at the chance and it produced all types of covenant through its corrupting temptation and influence. That's what Christine is saying. So, we all have an internal voice that speaks to us. It's the voice of conscience. It will hold us to whatever standard we think is right. But this verse says that we also have an external voice. There is an external voice of sin that, and that's the problem. The problem that we struggle with, it's not a problem with the law, it's not a problem with God's covenant. The problem is that we have the voice of sin that is consistently tempting us away from our relationship with God. And so sin's voice tempts us to serve sin. And having a covenant with God, having a relationship with God, does not save us from this. And so one application of this for Paul is that he's saying, hey, everybody, Y'all, you Jews, us Jewish people, the Israelites of the first century, we need the gospel. We need Jesus just as much as those Gentiles out there. That's the point that he's making here in Romans 7. And the same thing is true for us. We as people who are in church, we as people who have a relationship with God, we need Jesus just as much as the people out there. We're no better. In some ways, we're no different. The ground is the level before God. And we need the gospel just as much as we need. So then Paul gives us kind of a curious phrase at the end of verse 8. He says, For apart from the law, sin lies dead. What does this mean? Well, this means that without the covenant with God that was given at Mount Sinai, 
show us, like, they can show us what's holy. They can show us what's good and righteous. The commandments aren't designed, standards aren't designed as a call just to convict us or make us compare. God gives us commands. God inspires us with ideals and standards so that we can see clear pictures of who we are in Christ and of who we can grow to be. Because for us, the covenant is the gospel. It's a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus doesn't leave the commands behind. It doesn't leave the standards behind. It invites us into the standards. It invites us into the standards without feeling like we have to be perfect to be acceptable. It invites us to go deeper into the standards themselves. Because in the standards we find Jesus. In the standards, in the commands, in the ideas, in the things that we aspire for, Jesus is there. It's almost like Jesus is saying, if you want more of me, if you want to experience a relationship, a deeper relationship with me, then explore who I am and what I do and meet me in the So again, it's not the ideals of the standards of the bad. It's the sinful way that we compare ourselves to others that's bad. The law is good. Sin and I are evil. So, what do we do with this? Right? Practical this week. Two things. Really quickly. First, know that there's a voice tempting you to serve sin. Realize there's a voice. It's not who you are, but it's outside of you. It is tempting you to serve sin. There is a voice that drives you to sinfully compare yourself to others. Right? There is a voice that comes to your brain that is trying to push you to honor the devil and his ways. If you know that that voice exists, that when you hear it, you have the ability to say, So-and-so is working with me, and it's like, you can't do everything. 